last time. Okay. <laughs> we got that on tape. <laughs> oh, Lynn. Well, I appreciate all the offers to come stay with you guys, but every time somebody offered, their power went off shortly thereafter. And so um, uh, I just thought I'm trying not to jinx anybody although I don't really believe in that sort of thing, but it's still one of those things that after it happens the third or fourth time, then you kind of go, please don't offer uh, so, <laughs> so you can keep your power. Um, anyway, we're uh, we, we working fine on generators right now, and we have two lights working in the house and the furnace, so that's about all that, all that matters right now, so we'll, we'll go from there. We are studying the divine institutions, and uh, this morning we're going to take up a topic about the control of history because there's a lot of question marks about how does the, the Lord Jesus Christ control history because he does, but how does he do it without overruling volition? Because volition is an established, it, it's made by divine sovereignty. A volition is established by divine sovereignty within his creatures. So how does he still call out the end from the beginning? How does he still tell things that, that are going to happen? Uh, how does this all play together? So this is an explanation I've been working on for 40 years at least and uh, because it, it is kind of a battle. When you hear the word control it sounds like he controls every little thing uh, and yet does he and and in what way so anyway we're going to try and answer some of those questions as simply as possible this morning we've looked at the will of God we've looked at the will of man we've looked at how the Lord Jesus Christ uh, set the example of following the will of God and now we're going to try to answer this particular question how does he control history before we begin let's take a few moments for prayer and let's be sure that we're ready to consider uh, spiritual things of God let us pray <clears throat> father we thank you for this day we thank you for your blessings we thank you for the test we thank you for just the opportunity to draw closer to you to rely on you more we thank you for your magnificent word father it is um, so amazing it is so broad, it is so deep, it reaches into the heavens, and Father, it gives us a taste of who you are. And so, Father, I pray this morning that as we look at these passages, consider these points, that the Holy Spirit will enlighten us and challenge us and convict us where we need it. For we ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are looking at volition and the control of history by the Lord Jesus Christ. And first of all, we, we have to... What, what has been established, what has been said. Anytime you study systematic theology, you have to look for the goalpost. You have to look for the corners of the puzzle. You have to look for the straight lines that connect the corners together. You have to start looking for what we call the givens. What things are given, what things don't change. And so that's what we're looking for, is how does the Lord bring this about? Divine will, we can say chose, because divine will has volition. Our God is a personal being. He is a personal God. He, he has self-consciousness. He has uh, uh, 
categories. He has omniscience. That's who he is. And he chose. He made a decision somewhere in eternity past to demonstrate his essence to certain creatures that he would create, namely angels and humans. That's who he settled on. Try to picture an omniscient God that knows all uh, all possibilities of everything that could possibly happen. He knows all of those things. And he decided how, he, he just asked the question, how do I manifest myself? What would be a good way to do it? Because after all, he is perfect. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit coexisted eternally for all, all forever. And so how, why did he do it? He chose to. It's a simple, sovereign decision by the King of Kings that says, I'm going to manifest it. Now, when you go from that step, you get to another step, which says, how's he going to do it? He had an infinite number of ways from our perspective. I mean, he had an infinite number of ways to have done it. He probably could have picked something a lot simpler than what he picked. You know, he could have picked us... Uh, he, he could have picked, uh, well, I can make a bunch of robots out there, and they'll pass by and say I love you uh, all the time. No, that's not what he chose. And what he decided to do was to give to certain creatures, which he settled on, angels and humans, and that he would create. Now, <clears throat> by doing this and giving them the ability to decide, he gave them the opportunity to choose for or against him. That is what real volition is about. That's what real choice is about. So they could choose for or against him. Because he wants creatures that he can share his love with. And love is not a one-way street. It's never designed to be a one-way street. It's supposed to be a two-way street. So while he could love all of us, we have to make a decision to love him in return. That's why the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is love your neighbors yourself because you display your love for God by displaying your love for other people. So he decided in eternity past, sometime before time existed, that he would create angels and humans. Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, and then chapter 3, we probably should have put that in there. That's, that's when the devil showed up as a serpent. And you'll notice it always bothered me. Where did he come from? Uh, if we start looking at the angelic conflict, where did the devil come from? Because Genesis 1 and 2 doesn't talk anything about the angelic creation. It's not, not found in there. And then suddenly, this creature shows up this serpent who's already fallen i've been asking questions about that since i was a kid where did he where did he come from now <clears throat> he chose that he would make bring these creatures into existence now through his omniscience he knew all the facts in eternity past he knew all the facts that he knew all the possibilities and he established a plan to demonstrate his essence who he is. He's sovereign, righteous, just, eternal life, love, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, un unchangeable, and absolute truth. That's who he is. And <clears throat> he established that plan to demonstrate his essence without violating the volition of humans and angels. Now, this gives them an opportunity to respond to him in love. Isaiah chapter 46 pretty well states that if you want to turn there quickly, Isaiah 48 46 verse 8 rather says remember this and be assured recall it to mind you transgressors you think he's talking the Jews 
He's actually talking to all of us, but he's talking specifically to the Jews. Remember the former things long past. Isaiah, writing in the 8th century B.C., and here is, here is some prophetic, uh, some of the prophetic word coming out. And he says, remember the former things long What would they remember? They remember Abraham. They'd remember the Exodus. They'd remember the uh, period of the judges. They'd remember the kings, uh, Saul, David, Solomon. They would remember the dividing of the kingdom. And he says, remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. That's about as clear as it gets. He says, I am God. There's no one like me. Then you kind of take you to Exodus 20 with the Ten Commandments. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying, My purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose from a far country, Truly I have spoken, truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it, surely I will do it. That's about as dogmatic a statement as you can get, that he has declared the end from the beginning. Now why, why would he do that? And it, it, we have to get into that whole book back there called Angelic Conflict to try and answer it a little bit more. But he would do that to demonstrate his essence. I, I ask crazy questions. I know none of you ask crazy questions. <clears throat> But I ask crazy questions like, why did history go on after the cross? <clears throat> well, that, that'll kind of stop you in your tracks, won't it? Why did history go on after the cross? Well, let's see. God's sovereignty had been established. His righteousness, justice had been propitiated or paid for. Eternal life had been demonstrated. He gave it back to his son. What, what else? His love? The son's love? The father's love? Omnipotence? He raised him from the dead. Omnipresence? He knew what was there all along. Unchangeableness and truthfulness? What was left to be demonstrated? His omniscience. Because he had a lot of things that were stated in the scripture that were not yet fulfilled. So, <clears throat> what was left to be demonstrated? His omniscience. Now, his omniscience includes the entirety of human history. Now, when Satan fell, Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 to 14, that's the five I wills that um, you probably heard of for a long time. I will be like the Most High. This is Satan he, exerting self-will. What this self-will did was counter God. That's the problem. Having will is what God established to begin with. It's when they chose to go against God that the problem existed. He fell, and he was sentenced. Matthew 25:41 the into the lake of fire that has been prepared that's a perfect tense in the past passive has been prepared for the devil and his angels so the lake of fire was prepared to deal with the fall of satan now the goats at the end of the trib get to join them there but that's what it was prepared for for the uh, devil and his angels and when that happened he appealed the sentence if you, the, the more you learn about the Greek, the more you see that a lot of the, the terminology that's used is courtroom terminology. He is our adversary. That's an adversary in a court of law. That's the common usage of it. 
So he is, what court of law? The appeal that he evidently made to God. And he probably charged God with everything he could think of. And God being gracious. And that's, the, that's probably the one thing Satan didn't count on was grace. He did not figure it out. How important is grace in salvation? Uh, Satan didn't figure on that. Anyway, <clears throat> I can go far astray for hours on this, and I'm trying to stay with the, the topic. That appeal is still being lived out today. How do we know? Because he's not in the lake of fire yet. Okay, So there's still an appeal, and we're a part of that. One charge I think he would obviously level at God was that, that God caused him to fall by creating him, by making him. Now, how could that not be true? If he was given the ability to choose and the responsibility for that decision. Okay? So what is God establishing throughout the course of human history? Volition. The divine institution. The ability to choose and the responsibility for that decision. Every human being is faced with that decision in their lifetime is there a God or is there not is there a God or is there not Romans chapter 1 spells it out as clear as the heavens declare the glory of God what has been made is a display of who the, the maker is so here is the, the Lord who has declared that and, and uh, uh, laid it out and then Satan chose against that today everybody knows I believe they are born knowing that there is a God I don't believe there's any born atheist. I've yet to find one born an atheist. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that he set eternity in the hearts of men. Now that kind of indicates that everybody knows there's something after this life, doesn't there? And every religion has a god or gods that they follow except atheism. It too is a religion. But like I say, now I've never seen anybody born that way. Now, <clears throat> angels in humanity were given the perfect ability to choose. And each respond to God over the course of their existence. And we know that from here's Satan. If you put Isaiah 14, which is where he fell, verses 12 to 14, and you put it together with Ezekiel 28, verses 9 to the end of the chapter... Okay, it tells you more about what happened prior to the fall. It describes it. <clears throat> it shows a stark contrast between the prince of Tyre in the first eight verses of Ezekiel 28 and the king of Tyre. Tyre was an island off the coast of Israel uh, out in the Mediterra Mediterranean Ocean. They thought they were the world's power at one time. They were a massive sea power. They had an anti-Jew thought. They said, I'm glad that people are attacking the Jews because we'll get their trade. God said, I heard that. And so what did he do? Tyre was laid siege to. And that's Ezekiel 26 through 28. Until you get the prince of Tyre. The prince of Tyre was the man living on the island in charge of the island. Then in verse 10 it says, or verse 9, it moves to the king of Tyre. And that's the power behind the throne. 
That's the spiritual power behind the earthly throne. How do we know that? He says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. He said, you were the anointed cherubim that covers. Okay, this, this, he's talking about Satan. He's not talking about a human being. I've seen commentaries that, like allegory, try to deal with that, and it's a disaster. It's a, if, you, if you want a good laugh so you can get your endorphins going and ease some pain, then it's good to read some of those things, but don't take them seriously. They were given the perfect ability to choose and each respond to God over the course of their existence. Each individual response brings an unchanging response from God's essence. In the form of blessing or discipline that is administered according to his perfect timing. Herein is the key. Perfect timing. God is absolute righteous, righteousness and justice. You give someone a glass of water with the right intentions, the right, right attitudes, and you do that to help someone in need. Hebrews 6.10 says, God doesn't forget the good that you've done. He doesn't do it. He does not forget it. But have you received the blessing for that yet? Well, probably not. Will you receive a blessing for it? Yes, in his perfect timing at the judgment seat of Christ. Yeah, <clears throat> so... Or discipline. Huh. Rewards are paid, see, in the future. And sins pile up until he reaches the point that says that he's going to deal with them and discipline them. He is a gracious God, slow to anger. The Jews ought to know that better than anybody. They really should. I've heard people say, grace is all New Testament. I'm going, why are the Jews still here? <laughs> I mean, if grace is all New Testament, why are the Jews still here? Now, the Jews are living pictures of grace, the grace of God. They, they have messed up every way you could mess up. You could send them out to mess up, they'd mess up on the way out. That's the kind of thought processes that they had. Now, <clears throat> his timing. Now, his sovereign will prescribed what's worthy of blessing or discipline. What What... What would you say? What is that? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Wouldn't that be his sovereign will prescribing what is worthy of blessing? You have joy in the midst of sorrow. You have um, peace in the midst of chaos. Boy, in the age in which we live, that's, that's worth, worth a lot, isn't it? Do you think that might be worth a blessing to have peace of soul in the middle of all this chaos of the world? that's going on right now and I, one thing I can promise you according to the word it's going to get worse so we can look to love, joy, peace, patience does your patience ever get tested I have so many examples of failed patience testing I'm sure you probably do too it's uh, you know we were trying to get a generator going this last week that was purchased to keep a daycare center operating at the May 3rd, 1999 tornado. That gives you an idea how old the generator was. And we had a new carburetor because it croaked. I got the carburetor put on. Thought, oh, this is going good. Started up, run five minutes and die. Couldn't figure out what's going on. My patience held for a while. <laughs> I knew it was old. I hadn't properly maintained it. I knew a lot of things that should have been done. But anyway, your patience can get 
tested for a while. <laughs> I've got other stories people have shared with me over the years about throwing lawnmowers of, over the fence. Because <laughs> they <laughs> wouldn't start or were going to run. Anyway, his sovereign will. said, you do this, I'll bless you. You do this, and I'll curse you. I'll bring discipline into your life. What do you think the Jews did at near the end of the time of Moses when he had some of them on one mountain and some of them on the other? And they're reciting, blessed are those who. And then he goes back, cursed are those who. Blessed are those who. Because they didn't have a whole lot of writing implements back then or Xerox machines. So what did he do? He taught them back and forth. And they went back and forth. There's blessing and there's cursing. There are things that God blesses you for. There are things that God brings discipline into your life for. His sovereign will is what established those things. Now when the blessing or discipline is administered is the key to understanding how he controls history. When? What happened with the flood? The sins piled up and reached up into heaven. Didn't you remember comments like that? They, they'd reached the point and God said, I've, I've got to take care of this business. And they got out after the flood. And what started to happen with, with uh, oh, let's see, they lived a perfect life, didn't they? Until the Tower of Babel. And then he sent them into all the world and confused all their languages. The timing, see. Why does he let people continue on in evil? To give them a chance to repent. What is constantly over and over said in the scripture? Change your mind. Change your mind. Follow me. Follow me. What, happened, what about Sodom and Gomorrah? Oh boy. Their sins piled up and reached up into the heavens. And the Lord showed up. And, and Abraham started negotiating. One of the great negotiations of all time. If there be 50 righteous. And the Lord went. Okay. <laughs> you see what Abraham was doing there though. What was great about that? He was interceding for a bunch of sinners. He knew who they were. He was interceding for Lot, his nephew, for sure. But if there be 50, will you spare them? Oh yeah. How about 40? And then he kept on going till he got to 10. Lot, yes, if there be 10. There wasn't 10. And he destroyed the city. He does it according to his perfect timing. That's when he administers the judgment. He did the same thing on the northern kingdom. Same thing on the southern kingdom. Same thing on Israel in 70 AD. He lets things go. Not because he condones what is going on. But he's giving people a chance to change their mind. And do the things that are pleasing in his eyes. Now... <clears throat> God does not overrule the volitions of other the volition of others to bless or curse individuals or nations. Now <clears throat> there's an example early on in Genesis about how God controls history and how he does it without overruling anybody's volition is found in chapter 24 to 32 of the book of Genesis and it's Jacob and Laban. Laban was Jacob's father-in-law. You might remember that. And he worked seven years to get Rachel. The one he loved, he did. And he woke up the next morning after Laban got him drunk the night of his wedding. And he woke up and one of the most eye-opening statements in all the Bible. Behold, it was Leah. It was the older sister. 
It wasn't Rachel. And so he had to work seven more years to get Rachel. Well, that's, that's kind of compounding problems, isn't it? Because he's starting to add wives to himself, which uh, later on in the Mosaic Law would be strictly prohibited. But before that, I, I, it's hard to figure it all out back there. But he ended up with four wives as a result. But here is, what, what did he say? Well, I'll work and, and I'll, I'll take these sheep. If they come out without any speckles on them, okay, they're yours. If they have speckles on them, they're mine. And Jacob was taking all the culls. That's the way it started out. But the next batch that came out were all culls. And Jacob got them. So Laban changed his wages seven times in there. Not once did he overrule Laban's volition. Not once. And yet he transferred all of Laban's wealth to Jacob in the process. The Lord controls genetics. Yet that's taught early on in the book of Genesis. Now, it, it doesn't have a direct statement, does it? Do you see one? And the Lord controls genetics. But what it says is, yeah, the Lord brought out the sheep that Jacob was going to get. That's, that's what happened. And so here is a prime example of not overruling the volition of people, but he can overrule their actions. And there are multiple ways that this can be done. His overruling will occasionally reaches into time. And it sets aside the normal laws of nature to administer discipline or stop an action. But it's still up to the individual to change their mind. Now, there's a lot of things that have gone on, gone on here. How about uh, the flood of, of Noah? Uh, it reached into time and brought a universal flood. And by the way, that's what the book says. It was a universal flood. It wasn't a local flood. It wasn't just a little flood around the Black Sea. A big flood, but a local flood. Because if it covered up Ararat, which is 17,000 feet above sea level, it covered up most of the world anyway. It's the only way it could have happened. But it was a, he controls history through a global flood. How about the plagues of Egypt? Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. Pharaoh said, no. And he went back ten times. There were ten plagues brought on Egypt. Did he change Pharaoh's volition? No. What did he do? Disciplined it. It's a very clear picture. It's one of those things that says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. They fight over this in seminaries. Depending on which seminary you go to is which side they pick. But they, did Pharaoh, would, well, did God make Pharaoh say no? Because it starts off, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then it goes to God hardened Pharaoh's heart. How did he do that? Did he overrule his volition? Or did he keep putting things in front of him he knew Pharaoh would say no to? In a secondary sense, he hardened his heart, not a primary sense, because the primary sense goes to the creature with the volition. You have to, it's the only way I've seen ever anybody explain it that you could understand what was going on there. God didn't harden Pharaoh's heart, he presented circumstances that he knew how Pharaoh would choose. How about the first advent of the Messiah? Well, let's see. He sent him in at the right time, in the fullness of the times. 
in the last days, if you would, uh, as it's called in some places, he sent him in just at the perfect time. How about the people's volition? What was going on when he sent the when he when he sent the son the first time? They were hypocrites. They were liars. The Pharisees, as said, were lovers of money. These are things that are just spelled out in the Scripture. You don't have to extrapolate anything. They're there. They were. They were. That's what they did. Did it change their volition? No. He knew what they were going to do. He knew they were going to yell, "Crucify him!" He knew they were going to yell, "Give us Barabbas!" They, the, the Lord knew is all part of this amazing plan that he had. How about the rapture? Does he reach into time and space right then and bring about something against the normal laws of nature? The rapture is not a normal thing of nature. It's just not. Try to apply evolution to the rapture. How long is it going to take for the rapture to happen? I may not finish this sentence. See, that's how fast. We can just barely get some idea of the twinkling of an eye. The description. We shall not all sleep, believers. We shall not all physically die, but we shall all be changed. That's prophetic, and it's a promise. We shall all be changed. How fast in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and we who believe in the Lord Jesus shall be caught up together to meet him again in the clouds of the sky. The rapture, how about the second advent? Well, he's reaching into time and space. What is the majority of the world trying to do? kill the Jews how many Jews are left well there's 144,000 plus we don't know how many over the plus there is but there's 144,000 that he's been preserved them for that day and time to enter into the millennial kingdom and repopulate the earth so uh, the second advent he reached into time and space what has he done in the trip didn't he We've, we've been through that chart I don't know how many times what did he do in the course of the tribulation he reached into time and space didn't he he brought judgments on he brought things into people's lives that, that you say well and I can see the scientists now I'm going crazy with these commercials but people trying to tell me what science is and stretching it all the way it just drives me absolutely nuts to see that done the second advent how many laws of nature were upset in the tribulation I don't have a count on it but you just start going through the seal judgments are just general trends the trumpet judgments start changing things you take a coordinated attack from the star wormwood that falls to earth during the trumpet judgments and you have perfect timing perfect location you have things that are, that are hit right there. Uh, hailstones. Wait, we've seen some big hail here in Oklahoma, to say the least. But 120 pounds? Uh, I don't think we've seen that yet here. Um, destruction of the present heavens and earth. I have a question about that. How long is that going to take? 
when I start thinking about when I start thinking about this, this is Second Peter three, Revelation twenty. Heaven and earth shall flee away. That's the part in Revelation. And then they destroyed with an intense heat. That's Second Peter chapter three, and he destroys the present heavens and earth, and he makes a new heaven and earth. How long does that take? I don't find millions of years in there. What I find is almost instantaneously because he's got creatures ready to use it as a habitat. That's what creatures need is a habitat. So how long is it going to take for him to create the new heavens and the earth perfectly? I think the twinkling of an eye is about going to be it. How, what's he going to do with us? Well, we're in his hand. And I've thought about this. I think he'll just close his hand and go, away. And it's all gone. He doesn't even have to say it. You know, he just thinks, away. New. Or whatever word he chooses. And he brings a new heavens and new earth into existence that fast. So how long does that take? Can't measure it. Time doesn't exist as we know it. He reaches into time and space and he controls it. Now the Lord directly controls the weather. Don't you just love to hear that? He knew exactly where the freezing line was going to be in the state of Oklahoma. And I'm sitting there looking at my solar thermometer, whatever it is, connects to a satellite from who knows where. Occasionally it connects it didn't change the time last night. But it connects to this thing and it says it's 31.5 degrees. And I'm going, Lord, give us a 32.5. <laughs> Have you ever prayed for a degree raise <laughs> in temperature? You know, and then what happens when it's 32.5? All the ice starts falling off of everything. It's exactly what happens. Here, and he knew exactly where that freezing line was going to be. He knew the duration of it. He does know when my electricity will be back on. Okay? I don't know that presently. OG&E doesn't know that. OG&E won't even venture a guess right now. But he knows exactly when it'll be back on. 2007, it was 10 days. I'm praying that it's not quite that long this time but it'll it'll come back on we're fine but he controls the weather and why he controls the weather and you say well a lot of bad things happen with weather well weather tests are for testing they are for discipline or they're for both when we have those things that come through they're testing they're testing to help your neighbor they're testing to have the right attitude. They're testing to trust God and not the government. That's a big test, isn't it? There's tests for all different kinds of things. Or they're discipline. Because maybe you turned your back on God. He's consistently brought things into play dealing with the weather or the natural phenomena that uh, we've seen. Such as the earthquakes. Amos 1.1. A massive earthquake over there that he, he brings these things into play. He knows what's going to happen. He knows how strong this earthquake is going to be. He knows the extent of it. He knows the location of it. He knows who's going to get shaken up and who's not going to get shaken up. And what happens there? You know, he also knows how you're going to react. 
The deal is you don't know how you're going to react until you go through it. So it is a test for the believer to grow. And I believe to trust God more fully in whatever circumstances that we find ourselves in. The natural phenomena, I would put in here the uh, plagues. When he brings a plague in there. And I, I look at it too. I look, what took out Alexander the Great? A plague is what took him out. Huh. What would have happened if Alexander had not been taken out at that point in time? He was in, in route to control the world. People were afraid of him. Oftentimes they did not fight whenever his group showed up at the, at the city. They laid down their weapons because they knew what would happen to them if they stayed to fight. And so what happens at the ripe old age of 33, he dies of plague. It's amazing how that, how that happens, isn't it? Earthquakes, cyclones, droughts, floods, etc., I find it amazing that we can be three inches above normal for rainfall for the year and be on rationing. Something just doesn't sound right. But yet you have to water every other day depending on what the ending number of your uh, home residence is or something like that. And they've got all these things to, I think, overreach in a lot of ways. Droughts, floods. Yeah, a lot of us have faced a lot of these things. Flood in Bartlesville, 1986. Uh, it, was, it was quite a mess. It was the 500-year flood is what they called it. And we had friends that built, he's a builder, he built a house 18 inches above the 100-year flood plain. He had six feet of water in his house. <laughs> so it was, it was a significant flood, the flood of 86. What a mess. He uses that to control the flow of history because he, he knows how people are going to respond react and he does it to give us the opportunity to respond in a way that is honoring to him life and death who's got the control of that well Genesis 2 7 Adam the day you eat of it dying you shall die do not fear him who can destroy the body, but who can destroy body and soul in hell. Don't fear the, the normal human beings. Acts 12, verses 20 to 23. This is another example. Um, says, And he was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and with one accord they came to him. This is a king. This is not uh, God being very angry. It says, with one accord they came to him, having one over Blastus, the king's chamberlain. Now, I think if my English name was Blastus, I'd probably change it. But they were asking for peace because their country was fed by the king's country. And on an appointed day, Herod, this is the king, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum, rostrum and began delivering an address to them. And the people kept crying out, the voice of a God and not a man. You remember that. I'm sure you've read it multiple times. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give the glory, give God the glory 
and he was eaten by worms and died. Now, that's kind of a dramatic picture of reaching into time and space. Here is a ruler who was taking all the glory to himself and giving none to God. And just shows how, how fragile it is. But who's in charge of that? An angel of the Lord struck him to take care of it. How about health? Health test. Now, obviously, we're supposed to do certain things to be good stewards of, of our body. But uh, God can use health as a way to control things. Sometimes uh, people tell me I often burn the candle at both ends. And sometimes he snuffs out one end, makes me slow down a little bit. And, and does that with various health tests that we, that we face. This is Job. And here is Satan asking for permission to strike Job. And God grants it to him. Now see, evidently, Satan cannot do this all by himself. He has to have permission. Because it says, however, put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh. This is what Satan is asking God, and he will curse you to your face, is what his claim is. So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he's in your power. Only spare his life. You don't have the power to take life. Who has the power of life and death? Belongs to one. Now, <clears throat> he gave him permission to do it, and what did Satan put him through? Everything that you could possibly imagine health can oftentimes be a test it could be a blessing it is designed as it if, if we have health issues it's a test is it discipline it could be uh, i know a lot of people think well if you have a health test you're undergoing discipline i don't buy that uh, there's actually some different groups uh, that float around Christianity or peripheral Christianity that say any sin in your life, uh, any bad health is a, is a result of sin in your life. So once you purge the sin out of your life, then you're going to have good health again. That's a divine healing, divine health. They, uh, there's a lot of, several of them on the uh, radio and television raise a whole lot of money because somehow by giving them money, you're going to get healthy. I'm not quite sure how that works, but that's the, that's the game plan that they give you. Now, <clears throat> he directly controls. For blessing or testing, you have to realize that's what he does. How, many, how much volition is he overruling in these? None. In this world, you have trouble. That's what Jesus told the disciples. That's what we're going to have. We're going to face testing. <clears throat> Choices made by others. Provide circumstances for others to respond. Choices that somebody else makes gives me a chance to respond. Same, and I think politics probably falls into this. It's interesting uh, what they translated electioneering in some translations, Galatians chapter 5. It's found there in that list of the works of the flesh. When it's all about self-promotion. And it's not about serving other people. Then it becomes politicking. And that is a work of the flesh. Just because you're trying to help somebody out by running for office. Bible doesn't prohibit that. It's not. There's not. Don't run for office. That's, that's silly to think of. This nation 
uh, founded on the grounds of trying to have a Christian nation and not have your your church dictated by the government. Did not want that at all. But choice, political choices made by other people affect me, and they affect you. And we all know we've got a big election coming up this Tuesday. And now there's some significant decisions there. And how do, how do you vote? You don't vote pure party. If the party stands for something that is not biblical, you don't choose with them. It's just not the way to do it. And there's, there's some decisions that have to be made. And I, I know people that have, well, I was just born this. No, you weren't born that. Your parents may have been that, but you weren't born that. And things change. They change from party to party over time. The course of time, that's just what they, that's what they do. So you have to find that, I believe, it's closest to the biblical perspective and viewpoint. And, um, you know, and usually the answer, I've always wanted them to put on the ballot none of the above. I think that'd be a fair election. But then we'd have to start all over again and listen to these stupid ads. Anyway, I don't want to... I've already gone there. Too late. The decisions of others test each individual to obey or disobey God and thus be blessed or disciplined. Decisions of others. Are there things that... Uh, anybody in here have kids? Did they ever make decisions that tested you? My dog makes decisions that test me. I don't want to go into stupid dog things. Anyway, the decisions of others test each individual to obey or disobey God and be blessed or disciplined. That's what the testing is. If the volition of others is not in line with his perfect timing, he can disrupt the normal working of physical things. One big biblical example you remember whenever Pharaoh's chariots went into the Red Sea getting ready to kill the Jews well evidently they were they were moving a little too fast and they were catching up with the stragglers at the end because it says not one person died you know God got them all the other side of the, the Red Sea not one of them died there and what did he do loosen the chariot wheels said so God loosened the chariot wheels did these Egyptians fail to tighten their chariot wheels before they left? <clears throat> no. But they got out there and they couldn't go anywhere. Did God overrule their volition? They wanted to kill the Jews. They were probably hesitant. I would be hesitant about driving a chariot when the water is stacked up on both sides of me. And I don't really know how it got there. Okay. But <clears throat> he can do that. Battle of Midway. Whenever the scout plane that spotted our armada out there, what we had barely left after uh, Pearl Harbor out there in the Pacific, and it was one plane that spotted our carriers, what was left of them, and guess what happened? The radio uh, tube went out, and they couldn't radio back the position to the Japanese fleet. Now, how much volition had got overruled? to change the course of history none he has that ability and power 
Jesus Christ is perfectly capable of controlling history without overruling the volition of his creation. That's a conclusion. He's perfectly capable to do it. He is a big enough God. He sees the end from the beginning. He brings it to pass as he sees fit. So we have a, a God that can control history, bring it to its desired end, and in the process prove that his creatures have the ability to decide. Amazing, the God we serve. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, again for this day, for your goodness and grace. Thank you that you do control history. Thank you that we can look to you. Thank you we have faith in you because we, kn we know what you've told us. You're going to come back and get us one of these days. You're going to take us into the millennial kingdom. Let us enjoy it and one day into the new heavens and the new earth. What an amazing blessing that is going to be. Thank you for the, uh, for the promises that you have given us by which we might have peace in these perilous times. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.